Join us at the Community Cats podcast on May 17th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Rachel Geller. She will be presenting her Surrender Prevention Workshop. As a surrender prevention specialist, your knowledge of cat behavior may be the difference between a cat losing her home and staying in her home. You will be able to get your certificate this season and take advantage of the interactive format, extensive handouts, and footage of actual techniques. Sign up today for a fee of $10 and become Surrender Prevention Certified. See you on May 17th. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Ashley Byrne. Ashley is the Director of Outreach for People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, otherwise known as PETA. She's been on the front lines of many provocative and highly effective animal rights campaigns. She's been interviewed about her work to promote animal rights by the Los Angeles Times, the Miami Herald, the New York Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, among others. And her campaigns have been covered by Agents France Press and the Associated Press, HuffPost, Reuters, and U.S. News and World Report. She is taking action to make the world a kinder place and helping others do the same. She loves telling people about how much of an impact they can have just by making kind choices about what they eat and where so that instead of just feeling sad when they hear about issues facing animals, they can feel empowered to make a difference at every meal or with every trip to the store. She will travel anywhere in the world and do whatever it takes to help stop cruelty to animals. Ashley has one dog named Pogue. 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 And a kitty named Mish. Yes. Princess Mish, if, if you want if you want to be very proper about it. Excellent. Excellent. Ashley, I'd like to welcome you to the show. And first and foremost, so how did Princess Mish get you to be crazy about cats? <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, Stacey. Um, you know, actually, I have been crazy about cats my entire life because I was fortunate to be brought up in an animal-loving home, and those animals included cats. And so, you know, my my first family cat was around years before I was <laughs> Oedipus. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I just have had a lifetime of wonderful companion cats who I've loved very much. <laughs> Have you always been working in the animal welfare space or do you have a, you know, media and public relations background outside of animals? You know, I came into um, working, well, I mean, working for PETA actually pretty early in my career. You know, I, I had a couple of years out of college where, you know, I did other things, but but this has really been the bulk of my of my career um and which has been wonderful <laughs> excellent so you've sort of you've grown within the organization that's that happened with me i started it with the merrimack river feline rescue society when i was about 25 years old and so and i was there for over 16 years on the day-to-day -day involvement of things so it's sort of you your journey is within an organization 
you know, as well as understanding the big wide world. So by the fact that you've been at PETA, give me the umbrella overview of PETA, what PETA does, what are the different programs? Because I think we all might be aware of PETA. PETA does this, PETA has that billboard over there, PETA has this, but what's the overall picture of PETA? Sure. So I, I think I would start with our um, our philosophy, our mission statement, which is that animals exist for their own purposes, that they're individuals, that they're not here for human purposes. They're not here, you know, they're not ours to exploit, to eat, to wear, to use for entertainment, um, you know, to experiment on or to exploit in any way that they exist for their own purposes. They, they feel pain, they feel fear, they suffer, they feel emotions and that they deserve, you know, to be respected as individuals and that we should avoid causing them suffering in, in any unnecessary way, which unfortunately, you know, animals experience a great deal of suffering on a massive scale, you know, due to completely unnecessary human activities. So we work to prevent that and to stop that by, you know, in, in a in a wide variety of ways from, you know, some of the things that people may be very familiar with, like our our very public facing campaigns with celebrities and and demonstrations, which ultimately the goal of those things is to to change the way people think about animals. Um, because if you're changing the way people think about animals, you'll change their behavior. So, you know, encouraging people to go vegan, to stop wearing animals, to adopt instead of buying from pet stores and breeders. But then we also have a lot of other what I what I would call maybe hands on ways of helping animals, um, which would include, um, you know, we have a 24-hour hotline to, for people to report cruelty cases. And, you know, we have cruelty case workers who respond to animal emergencies around the world, you know, guiding people to local resources, you know, in terms of how to how to help them, how to get law enforcement involved, how to get a suffering animal, you know, to a, a vet. We have a low-cost spay-neuter clinic that performs services in the um, Hampton Roads, Virginia, and, you know, Southern Virginia and Northern North Carolina areas, as well as field workers there who go into areas of extreme poverty, uh, where we see dogs living on chains 24-7 in the backyard, you know, often people forget to feed them, you know, or just nobody nobody visits them on a daily basis. Um, and so, you know, we go into these areas and provide them with whatever comfort we can and try to educate their guardians about how to give them a better life. And, you know, we'll do anything. We'll deliver dog houses and straw, you know, for the animals whose owners won't bring them indoors. And we'll intervene when we see cruelty, sickness, injuries. And that goes for cats too, dogs and cats. So we just have... <laughs> countless ways that we um, work for animals. And that's, and that's, you know, PETA US, but we have international affiliates around the world doing work for animals. And so that also includes, you know, our teams going into places right now, like Ukraine and doing rescue and, and assisting people and helping animals in, you know, in the middle of, of just the devastating 
war going on there or people we have a you know a team in turkey right now uh, helping with animal rescue after the um, earthquakes that have happened actually our, our team was there a few days ago in one of the areas as it was hit by an earthquake and fortunately they were all okay and they continued on with their rescue work so we just have a a, a wide variety of different ways that we help animals whether you're talking about trying to influence how people interact with animals themselves or actually going in and um, protecting animals from cruelty, like, you know, in person. Yeah. And I'd I'd like to focus in, zoom in on the spay-neuter component of things for dogs and for cats, but this, you know, primarily cats here, but you know, we're, we're experiencing staffing shortages of veterinary, veterinary shortage across the, the, the country. You know, PETA has, I believe, a couple of mobile clinics. And so what's the thought around providing affordable spay-neuter services? What sort of challenges, you know, is the team facing with the staffing shortages? And, you know, how does that access to spay-neuter, affordable spay-neuter help impact, you know, our community cat overpopulation challenges? Right. You know, we we do. We have mobile clinics and I cannot overstate the importance of spay neuter. I don't need to tell you this. I mean, we we really have a a homeless animal crisis here in the US. And there is absolutely no way to address that that does not involve spaying and neutering. You know, obviously the best way to keep animals from becoming homeless is is prevention. You know, is it's for animals to, you know, just not to be born if if there is not a a loving home to care for them. So um you know in in our case we have um you know our spay neuter our our low cost or free spay neuter services that we offer um and over um uh, 200,000 companion animals have been spayed and neutered by PETA's clinic since 2001. In 2022 um are we uh, offered free or low cost spay and neuter services to over 13,000 animals. And obviously we will, you know, continue to do so. And, um, you know, we kept offering services throughout, you know, the pandemic and shutdowns and, you know, it, it's, it's just essential because again, there, there's just w- with the crisis that we're facing right now, with the overcrowding that we're seeing in shelters, you know, just, the best thing we can do for animals is to to be sure that you know that they're that they're not being born just to be just to be discarded um yeah so so we just see it as the you know really one of the most important things we can focus on if we care about helping um companion animals like in, including cats so and and just trying to think about like i think it you've looked at spay neuter in a very targeted way with those programs is there anything on a on a larger scale um, that you know, from our standpoint, or maybe something that we can learn from PETA? You know, how do we create programs? We're finding that there's spay neuter deserts around the country, right? There's there there's areas where people can't even access any type of veterinarian, affordable, not affordable, within hour two hour drives. You know, are there any support or any resources from PETA, anything we can learn from your team to help others to create in their communities? Well, you know, I know that one thing that um, that our clinics offer is um, free transportation for 
people who are unable to bring their animals in themselves. And, um, you know, I mean, whether that means our, you know, our actual clinic workers or, you know, at at PETA, we have the advantage of, of, you know, just having um, staff who deeply, deeply care. And so just staffers who don't work in that department will often volunteer to provide transportation. But so that's one way that we've been able to bring these services to people um, who, as you say, may live you know, out of an area where they'd be able to easily access or or who just might not be able to access because of their own lack of transportation or mo- mobility. I mean, you know, we, yeah, I, I think the more, the more you can bring these services to people, I mean, and a, another thing I'd say is I know that we, um, our, our clinics park in, in, I believe it's 40 different locations. So um, just really getting out to people is, is vital. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of the mobile spay-neuter clinic model. I've started two mobile spay-neuter clinics, two catmobiles. Oh, that's wonderful. That's awesome. All all around (laughs) Massachusetts. Yeah. Very cool. My my dream is that we all meet in Kansas. All the mobile clinics meet in Kansas. (laughs) And like we have this like parade in the middle of the country with all of our all of our vehicles out there, you know, driving around. But I mean, it would be a a waste of our resources, but it would be a fun picture. But fun. (laughs) You know, so, you know, where the families do their family reunions with the RVs, it would be all the mobile stay neuter clinics. Mobile clinics stock. (laughs) So so that's on the bucket list after we solve the uh, veterinarian and the technician shortage going on. And there are just, there's so many questions I have rattling around in my mind for you today, sure. Ashley. So, and I, I want to make sure I reserve enough time. <laughs> so, and and Misha, Misha has joined the party. <laughs> I know. For those of you who aren't seeing, we can't, we're not showing the video, but we have a cat right in front of the camera right now. So, so yes, uh, Misha's interested in finding out what we have to say about community cats. And I'm, you know, most of my listeners are community cat caretakers. They do trap, neuter, return. They do trap, neuter, vaccinate, return. They do trap, neuter, return, M management, however you want to call it. They do trap, neuter, and I'll decide and rescue some and return some and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, PETA has a strong support and interest in spay, neuter, which is the I find the proactive part of trying to prevent the cat overpopulation situation out there on the streets, but right. we are faced with a reactive decision too with trap, neuter, return. So from, from your perspective, we talked a little bit about this before we hit the recording, you know, we have a, we have some common ground and then, ha- and then we have to either ag- potentially agree to disagree or, or just under have some understanding. So maybe help me try and understand where PETA is with regards to, let's assume we have a managed community cat colony, and then you can also go into the sort of what I would call an unmanaged community cat colony. Sure. You know, so yes, I, I think it's known that um, that PETA does, is, is not in favor of the TNR or feral, feral colony approach to homeless cats. And, you know, the reason is that sadly, our experience with, you know, TNR and and managed colonies is that we 
we have still seen cats suffering in so many ways, in spite of the fact, you know, the the best intentions of the people involved. And, you know, you can have very caring, responsible people doing this work. But we receive countless reports of incidents in which cats are, are dying horrible deaths, offending for themselves outdoors. Um, for instance, I, you know, I, I think I'm sure we are both aware of the fact that there are unfortunately people who are very hostile to cats out there. And I, you know, I think I mentioned that, you know, we, we have um, a 24 hour cruelty um, hotline and we get so many reports of people doing horrific things to cats. I mean, just horrifying cruelty, people who see cats as a nuisance and do things, you know, like, poisoning them or um you know killing them in other gruesome ways or just cruel disturbed people who will cat catch and torture outdoor cats for fun um you know there are um there are people who will round up stray or you know or outdoor animals and sell them to laboratories where they could be used in experiments i mean there are just so many things that can happen to any companion animal who is outside outdoors fending for themselves um and and i would say that that's you know one of the primary things that concerns us that you know a a, a cat outdoors can be subject to extreme human cruelty we also see so many outdoor cats being hurt in automobile accidents, you know, being run over by cars or crawling inside of a car's engine, you know, to find some warmth and sleep and then just being mangled when the person, you know, when the driver turns the car on without knowing that they're there. Uh, we've seen a lot of incidents of extremely sick or injured outdoor cats who are, are evading traps. And so they don't get the vet treatment they need. And they're just, you know, suffering and dying in a prolonged and awful way um and so i mean th these are these are some of our biggest concerns i mean it's it's really just that you know we we don't want to see any animal suffering needlessly and we just do see a lot of a lot of suffering among you know among cats who are living outside and again this you know i i think we absolutely have in common with people doing TNR that we all care. We all care about cats. You know, we 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 don't want to see them suffering. It's just that we think that there is so much suffering that can still go on, even when someone with the best intentions is, you know, is is looking after a colony of cats. I want to just get a sense from what you think, you know, how many of those outdoor cats are are owned, quasi indoor outdoor cats versus because you're talking about, you know, getting human interaction with the cats and feral cats are very shy cats and usually are what I call the no seems. And then there are the sort of abandoned house, they're either abandoned house cats or they're indoor outdoor cats that are much more human engaged and friendly. And I think can get in a little bit more trouble as well as kittens. Kittens are really, I mean, that they're the highest level of roadkill out there. So if you can get your kitten numbers down, I mean, that was what I used to use whenever I went to a city council meeting to get funding for TNR was, you know, you want to get the, the kittens that 
I mean, I'm being very blunt here. They are the ones that are getting hit by the cars in, in a lot of cases. And um, so I just didn't know what, what your thoughts were about like the owned indoor outdoor cat also in terms of being in that vulnerable space. Well, you know, it's a good question. We have a very strong stance on, on cats not being allowed outside, you know, I mean, un- unsupervised it's of course, you know, we all know people or we've all met people who maybe, you know, take their cat outdoors on a leash or in my case, I have an enclosed deck where, you know, my, my cat can go outside very safely, but we are not in favor of um, cats being, you know, living indoor outdoor lives again, mostly for, for the safety of the cats, because, you know, we just, we have such concerns about human cruelty, about accidents, about poisoning, about, you know, these things that can occur. But also, um, you know, I think something we've been hearing about a lot lately that is very important is the impact on wildlife, on, you know, on small animals and birds and and the fact that um, bird populations can just be um, decimated by, by outdoor cats. And, you know, I, I think that's a concern too. And then unfortunately, so often that leads to more of this human cruelty because people, you know, there are people who who feel justified in harming cats because they say that they're harming bird populations and and we don't want to see any of that. So again, I mean, primarily for their own safety, but also, you know, it, it is a concern because of because of birds and wildlife. And I'll just share a quick story that the folks have heard from me, you know, when the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society started up in Newburyport in 1992, one of the things that happened at that period of time was we had, we had a dumpster with 35 plus cats there and they were trapped in, and removed and euthanized in, in 1990. And there was a gentleman also who took baseball bat to cats that had been living in the boat in the winter. Whereas over three, we had, we, there were 300 cats on the waterfront. So in 1992, mm-hmm. we started the trap new to return program, 14 feeding stations fed twice a day, I'll fast forward through 2008, the last cat from that managed situation died and there are no community cats at all in Newburyport at this point wow. in time okay. anymore. So there are some successful models out there and I can tell you it was a very dedicated volunteer group when a cat was missing and, and as the cats were getting older and aging out, uh, some were brought in for hospice and others were not. And it was a long dialogue amongst the caretakers to make a decision as to sort of what was the best, you know, for those cats. So, and, and, you know, with drop traps, there's a lot of tools now to get injured cats that we didn't really utilize back, back in the nineties. So there, there, and that Newburyport is in the home of the piping plover Audubon area and all that kind of stuff. So I, I would like to feel like we created a nice balance, which is at the end of the day, we all wanted fewer cats out there on the, on the streets and, and, right. <laughs> and, and the cats that were out there that did get brought into our shelter were microchipped. I mean, we had the Siamese cat that came into us like every week, you know, and because people would worry about this very friendly Siamese cat being out there <laughs> walking down the street and we'd be like, Oh, Fido, hi, you know, but we'd have to give Fido back to their owner. And I mean, it was a perfectly healthy cat just was outside was one of the few outdoor cats. And so, you know, it, it, it in my perspective, I am, like 99.9% of this revolves around spay neuter first and foremost, because I think it elevates the status of cats in our lives. And nobody wants an unneutered or an unspayed cat in their house as an indoor only cat. And so I really think that's the crux of our problem. I think we are united 
in the desire to make sure that spay and neuter is accessible and affordable to everybody because it could solve so many of these tensions that we have. Cats of the Wild is the podcast for cat lovers who want to make a difference. Listen to inspiring and engaging stories of wild cat conservation and learning how you can help protect cats all over the world. Search for Cats of the Wild in your favorite podcast app now. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients, and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it, it is it is essential. It's the key. And and I think, you know, you're right. I think that's where we have very common ground. And I certainly have found common ground, um, you know, with, um, you know, with the people who I've met through my work who who do TNR, but you know, we all just feel so uh, that it's so vital um, that, you know, to have these, these spay neuter services. And yeah, it's, it's just and it's, you know, you, you brought up the fact that right now there there is a vet shortage. There are shortages of appointments, and it's so alarming. Um, you know, it's it's very frightening. And I, you know, I've heard quite a lot of uh, horror stories too about, um, you know, even just the fact that um, in a lot of places, mobile spay neuter clinics, like in Los Angeles, the mobile spay neuter clinics stopped operating during COVID. You know, the shutdown and you just you see such an impact from that um you know just you see this exponential um spike in 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 kittens being born on the street after something like that and so um yeah i i think that spay neuter and obviously one thing that i'll mention that that you know i think is somewhat unique to PETA is that in terms of you know we we as many other groups do, we try to promote adoption. And we really try to be aware of how people might be influenced to think that it's acceptable to be, you know, breeding and and buying cats on social media or by celebrities when really there's this cat crisis and anyone, you know, who wants to bring a cat into their home should be adopting. And so we have, you know, I mean, we, when we see any celebrity showing like a, a purchased kitten or, you know, just, you know, tagging a breeder in their posts or anything like that, 
we really make a point of going in there and asking them to take it down, to untag the breeder, to say something about adoption and spay-neuter to their followers, because that's something that I think is a concern too. And I, I think we've all seen, again, a spike in that since the pandemic, since people seemed to get this very erroneous idea that shelters were suddenly empty. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think I can't overstate how important it is for people to realize that they need to be adopting cats, not not buying them. Yeah. And I think there's uh, two sides and we could have a whole show on this topic. So I will, I'll just mention, you know, one thing, which is during the pandemic, you know, shelters were open by appointment or doing things virtually. I also think that um, there's some organizations have limitations on the process. The process is challenging for adopting and, and it, and the, it became more process oriented, even with the, with the pandemic. And so it just, I, I know for a fact, um, my, my niece, some of my family members, they've had a, younger family members have had a hard time adopting because of various rules and that kind of thing, because of their age, you know? Um, so there are just some challenges there, not to say that I just think we have to understand both sides of the, of the story because there is adopting is a business too. And adopting um, is servicing a client and they need to realize how they're serving them too. They're serving multiple clients, not only the person, but also the animal, right? Well, and and I know that we've, we feel that it's vital at, at this point in the stage of things when businesses are back open, government buildings are back open, that that shelters be back open as well and not be, as you said, on an appointment system or, you know, offering limited services when, you know, for instance, when you're in a city where everything else is back to normal, like those, those services need to be back to normal as well. Right, right. Ashley, I know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, PETA's involved in a lot of different stuff. What new campaigns do you have going on? Well, um, you know, we, as I mentioned before, I mean, we have a variety of campaigns um, that encourage people to help animals with their daily decisions, whether you're talking about what you're eating, you know, choosing vegan meals, um, or what you're wearing. And I think that's something that people don't always think of as much. But we, you know, so so for that reason, we um, have a lot of campaigns encouraging people to make their their closets vegan, and to shop for vegan clothing. And, you know, I think people understand, you know, when they think about an issue like fur, you know, I think fur is pretty out of favor these days because everybody knows the extreme violence and cruelty that goes on behind the scenes in the fur industry. And that's why, you know, so many designers and retailers have dropped it. But we're trying to educate people about the other products that they might not think about as much as well. Like, you know, for instance, wool, the fact that, you know, I think people have a very um, sort of pretty idea of what the lives of of sheep in the wool industry are like. But, you know, we've actually done dozens of investigations into wool farms in um, just several countries. And every time we find extreme cruelty, especially in the shearing process, because shearers are paid by the pound. So we find animals, um, you know, just being 
punched and kicked and having bits and pieces of their skin or their ears lopped off during during the shearing process. And then when their wool production drops, they're um, they're slaughtered in in really gruesome ways without painkillers. Um, or, you know, for instance, down. I mean, these are also animals who, um, you know, these ducks and geese are are living on factory farms and just they're li- living miserable lives and dying very violent deaths. But so what we want people to know is there are fantastic vegan clothing options out there these days. And they're at the stores where people are already shopping. They're widely available. Very often they're very clearly labeled these days. And so whether that means looking for um, a down alternative jacket and so many big brands are doing them now with alternative fillings. Like um, I know the one that I bought this year is made, um, has a, a lining made from recycled plastic bottles and it's so warm or, you know, encouraging people to look for wool alternatives, you know, and, and to read the label and just, you know, look for that little, you know, percentage of wool even that might be in a sweater or a coat and just to choose, um, you know, something else instead. And again, this is, it's all out there. It it has to be labeled by law. If you read the label, it has to tell you what's in there. Um, and you can just prevent so much needless suffering by choosing, you know, a pair of vegan leather shoes or a wool-free jacket instead of one made from animals. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know my family tries to to do that or else um, go to a thrift store. Um, both my children love thrifting. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go that way. And I think, yeah, I think people, um, I think consumers are a lot more conscious now. People realize they have, you know, a lot of resources for learning about what they're buying and, and brands are realizing that too, you know, that, that people care. Um, and we actually have a cruelty-free shopping guide on our website, um, PETA.org, for anyone who does want um, help making more compassionate choices. Um, so it's sort of like the environmental working group. That's another, there's a resource on for animal testing, right? Doesn't the environmental working group, yeah. the animal testing site? Well, and you know what? We actually, we also have um, a cruelty-free shopping guide for, for uh beauty products, household products, um, as you say, to, you know, we have lists of companies that don't test on animals. And then we have the list of, of the companies that do, um, you know, it, it really is so easy to make a difference just by, you know, by choosing one product instead of another, because companies do take notice, they absolutely do. And that's why we've seen such a push from them in recent years to promote their cruelty-free offerings. So if folks are interested in finding out more about PETA and, and what they can do to help, you know, how, how would they find out? And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, well, yes, people can visit PETA.org um, to find out more about um, anything we discussed, you know, about, about PETA's, um, you know, spay-neuter programs, our, our mobile clinic, our shelter. Um and to uh, also to access the the cruelty free shopping guides I was talking about to you know watch any of the exposés that I mentioned, and yes you know I would just say that it's um, it's so easy to help animals and it's um, it's empowering to to realize that you can actually make a difference just by 
making different choices in the things that you do every day. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge effort. It just takes a little research, a little education, and then choosing one product over another, one meal over another. And, you know, and I, I would just say, I think the people who listen to this podcast probably, so often I say, feel like a lot of people kind of feel like they need to wait for permission to to act on something that's wrong. You know, it's like they're they're waiting for the go ahead to make things better. And people who are listening to this podcast are probably already out there, you know, trying to help animals in a hands on way. And and yeah, I would just say, you know, never hesitate to extend that throughout the rest of your life to, you know, to the other things that you're doing that affect animals, because, you know, it absolutely does make to make these choices. And I, I think that I think that it's just so important to have people out there who who do know that they're empowered to make a difference, that they don't need to wait for permission, that you can just make the right choice right now. Ashley, wonderful. Great way to close up this interview. I really appreciate that. Great thoughts. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.